Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. This Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on the shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcast at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast, or it's easier to use a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com. You can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from NHK World Radio Japan, George Galloway's Mother of All Talk Shows, and Radio Havana, Cuba. We will begin with NHK World Radio Japan. The leaders of Japan and South Korea met on the sidelines of the UN General Assembly, agreeing on three-way cooperation between themselves and the United States. The new Japanese Prime Minister Kishida called for nuclear weapon testing to be abolished as presented in the Comprehensive Nuclear Test Ban Treaty. Germany is sending fighter jets to Japan for drills in Japanese airspace. U.S. and Canadian naval warships made a provocative pass through the Taiwan Strait. Moscow-backed separatists in four regions of Ukraine are holding referendums on joining Russia. NHK Japan Relations between Japan and South Korea have been hung up on issues such as wartime labor. Their leaders met at the UN in an effort to work them out. It was the first face-to-face meeting between Prime Minister Kishida Fumio and President Yoon Son-yeol since June. In their half-hour talks, they agreed their nations are key neighbors that need to work together. And they confirmed the importance of three-way cooperation among Tokyo, Seoul, and Washington. The two leaders also pledged to work closely on North Korea. Yoon reaffirmed his support for Japan in resolving the issue of Japanese nationals abducted by the North decades ago. Kishida and Yoon will order stepped-up diplomatic exchanges, including talks between their foreign ministers. And they agreed to keep in close touch themselves. Kishida joined other leaders of what's known as the Friends of the Comprehensive Nuclear Test Ban Treaty. He called for nuclear testing to be abolished. The CTBT Pact aims for a total ban on nuclear weapon test explosions. Japan is among 174 nations that have ratified the treaty. It has yet to be enforced because nuclear-armed countries, including the U.S. and China, have not ratified it. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has made the halting journey to a world free from nuclear weapons even more strenuous. But no matter how uphill that journey is, We must keep going. Kishida stressed the importance of strengthening the treaty's verification process and prodding non-signatory nations to join up. Kishida urged his counterparts to come up with practical ways to realize a world without nuclear weapons through talks at the G7 summit in Hiroshima next year. 
The skies over Japan will play host to a drill between local and German fighter jets later this month. It'll be the first time the countries have teamed up for an exercise in Japanese airspace. Three German Eurofighter jets will arrive in Japan on September 28th. Japan's Air Self-Defense Force will commit three of its own F-2 fighter jets. It says the purpose of the drill is to improve cooperation and the Japanese side's tactical skills. Germany says it wants to get more involved in the Indo-Pacific as part of its pursuit of multilateral goals. Its air force recently took part in a military exercise with 16 other nations in Australia. U.S. and Canadian naval ships have passed through the Taiwan Strait. Officials say the move supports global stability at a time of renewed regional tensions. The U.S. Navy confirmed the transit took place on Tuesday. It said the move by the American destroyer and Canadian frigate shows the Allies are committed to a free and open Indo-Pacific. A Pentagon spokesperson told reporters the waters are beyond the territorial sea of any coastal state. As always, we will continue to fly and sail and operate where international law allows. Past transits have provoked anger from Beijing. China has been ramping up its military presence near Taiwan, especially since U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit in August. Moscow-backed separatists in four regions of Ukraine have reportedly announced plans to hold referendums on joining Russia. The move has prompted a furious response from Ukraine's foreign minister, who called Russia an aggressor illegally occupying land. Russian news agencies are reporting separatists in the Donetsk and Luhansk regions will hold the polls from Friday to next Tuesday. And Moscow installed officials in occupied parts of the Kherson and Zaporizhia provinces are making similar plans. Ukraine's foreign minister Dmitry Kuleba wrote on Twitter, sham referendums will not change anything. He said Ukraine will continue to liberate its territories regardless of what Russia says. Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan. They are now heard from 9.30 to 10 p.m. at 7355 and 6165 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. All the times I announce are for Pacific Daylight Saving Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. On to George Galloway's Mother of All Talk Shows. His guest was Pulitzer Prize-winning American author Chris Hedges. They discuss a report in Newsweek magazine that 90% of the world is not with the U.S. in the war in Ukraine, the financial catastrophe citizens in the West are facing because of the war, the shift to the far right in some European nations, and what Chris calls the bankruptcy of liberals. George Galloway. Uh, very glad to welcome Chris Hedges here on the mother of all talk shows. I read in Newsweek just an hour or two ago uh, that in Newsweek, at least, there's a recognition that the vast majority of the world, they say 90%, is not with the United States on this war in Ukraine. That's quite serious when only yesterday you were the dominant hegemonic superpower, isn't it? Yeah, I think I think that that's probably long been true, uh, given the last 20 years in the Middle East. The United States has become like Israel, a kind of pariah nation uh, that's lost on most Americans 
of course. And uh, this uh, proxy war, uh, part of the reason there's been such a iron control of the press in the United States is that uh, I think the support for now 15 plus billion dollars worth of uh, quote unquote military assistance uh, and humanitarian assistance to the Ukraine uh, only is viable because most people couldn't find Ukraine on a map. Uh, and so you uh, have kind of this cartoonish version of Zelensky as the new Winston Churchill. Uh, people don't want to look too closely at Ukraine, which on the corruption index uh, ranks, of course, very highly. There was a CBS report not long ago that got yanked uh, because it uh, estimated that only about 30% of the weapons that were being sent to Ukraine were actually being delivered. The rest were being siphoned off to warlords and uh, black marketeers. It, this has been confirmed in the media. There's no oversight of the weapons at all. Uh, any kind of abuse, war crimes that are carried out by Ukraine. I covered war for 20 years. I can tell you both sides lie and both sides are guilty of egregious human rights violations. That's been true in every conflict going all the way back to the wars in Central America. There's all sorts of reports, butterfly bombs being used, uh, Ukrainian quote-unquote collaborators with Russia. They may, of course, be culturally Russian and Russian-speaking, uh, being uh, executed or certainly beaten up. I mean, all of this kind of stuff gets washed out, and it gets washed out for this reason, uh, that if people saw how messy this conflict was, uh, coupled, of course, with we're suffering from inflation, not quite what the UK is. I think you're over 10%, but we're up around eight uh, rising fuel prices. I, I know in the UK, fuel prices are expected uh, to rise by 80% in October, but we're also seeing that uh, and meanwhile, all of these massive amounts of resource are, are being siphoned off to this proxy war. The kind of dirty game that Washington has been playing is probably more evident to people outside the borders of the United States, but it is becoming evident now in the United States itself. And of course, we've seen these protests in Vienna the other day, in Paris today, going back to Prague, uh, where uh, people have had enough of pumping massive resources into the war industry when literally they're uh, having to choose between heating their homes and eating. Well, uh, of course, uh, governments are beginning to fall, Chris. Uh, the Swedish uh, so-called social democrats have just uh, fallen uh, to uh, parties uh, of the right, anti-globalist parties, uh, not keen on the EU, not keen on NATO, not keen on the economic war against Russia. The Italian government already fell. Italy, a member of the G7, of course. It is overwhelmingly likely to elect a government uh, like the new Swedish government that is anti-EU, anti-globalist, anti-NATO. The government of Bulgaria already fell. The government in the Czech Republic may very well fall. The French government is having to uh, paddle very, very ferociously to stop the well-known predilection of French people to be on the street contesting when their living standards are being uh, threatened. And here in Britain and in your country, the United States, it's a big ask 
to ask people to be cold, hungry, poor, unemployed, to decide uh, whether uh, Kopiansk should be in Russia or in Ukraine. Yeah, and I think that's why you've seen such fierce media control. People who have questioned the war in Ukraine, whether it's Scott Ritter, the former UN inspector, uh, Patrick Lawrence, etc., they've been removed uh, from social media, even for raising the question. I think the ruling elites understand what we've already seen. The head of uh, NATO, uh, the head of the IMF, have been warning the last uh, few days about social unrest uh, in the winter. What not surprising, uh, given what are going to become food shortages for many people, rolling blackouts, and meanwhile we're funneling staggering sums of money and resources into this absolutely futile conflict. And I was in Eastern Europe in 1989. I covered the revolutions in East Germany, Czechoslovakia, Romania. Uh, we all uh, thought uh, naively that we were going to get a peace dividend, uh, NATO that had been rendered obsolete. NATO formed in 1949 to prevent Soviet expansion into Central and Eastern Europe had now become redundant, which shows you how naive we were. And these are really the consequences. I'm not defending the invasion, but I don't think there's any argument that uh, Russia was baited. All of the great Sovietologists, uh, George Kennan, everyone else understood what would happen if uh, NATO expanded as it did uh, up to Russia's borders. And let's be clear, Ukraine became a de facto NATO country before this conflict began, certainly after 2014. So once again, the ruling oligarchs have made a mess of it. I think they're kind of scrambling. Uh, and these protests, especially if they become, a, we're, we're, we're on the cusp perhaps of a major rail strike. And these kinds of strikes, uh, as history has shown, uh, can really bring down the billionaire class. And they're worried. Uh, they, they know the tinder is there. They've acknowledged that. What will ignite it? That's an unknown. I covered all sorts of uprisings. Uh, you can uh, see that people are being pushed to the brink, but what is that actual event that pushes them over? That's a mysterious forces. Working men and women can, just can't be pushed much further. And what's going to come in the next few weeks and months is going to be really rough. How do we deal with the fact, people like you and me, uh, people of the left, that actually the main opposition to war, NATO, neoliberalism, globalization is coming from the right and not the left. How do we handle that, Chris? Well, that's the bankruptcy of the left because we should be at the forefront of that and we should have been at the forefront of that a long time ago. Watching the liberal, I hate to call them left, but the liberal class in the United States cheerlead the war in the Ukraine is nauseating because of the cynicism behind it, as somebody who spent a lot of time in war, uh, the Ukrainians will bleed, their country will be destroyed. And for what? I mean, as even Henry Kissinger has said, I never thought I'd see the day where I was citing and agreeing with Kissinger. Uh, but even as Kissinger has said, there will have to be negotiations and there have to be an exchange of land for peace. In fact, Kissinger said it should be done quickly. Uh, so this conflict doesn't spiral out of control. But I think that part of the rise of the old right is the bankruptcy of the left. I think, like you, George, that's something I mourn. Well, I'm extremely worried about it. It's true here, it's true there, where you are, and evidently it's true in Italy, it's true in Sweden, and so on. A rejection of the status quo, 
is more likely to come from the right than the left. The left is the status quo. Yeah, the left has been bought off, or the liberal class, and then the real left, people like you and me, have been pushed to the margins. In the United States, also, it's the breaking of labor unions, which、uh, really were the backbone of the militant left,、uh, certainly up through the 1930s. And then you saw this war against unions. We we have about 10 percent of、uh, the workforce in the United States is actually unionized, and I think only about 60, a six percent of that is. In the private sector, so、uh, that the fundamental weapon that the working class has to defend its interests and to stop permanent war is the strike. And certainly in the United States,、uh, with the Taft-Hartley Act in particular, 1947,、uh, which is was this egregious anti-union act that is still law,、uh, they've defamed the power of the working class and the power of the left. Now we're just going to have to、uh, embrace what will become wildcat strikes. Uh, they will be against、uh, anti-labor legislation、uh, that has been passed. I mean, that's our hope、uh, in terms of a recovery of the left.、Uh, but you're right. If if we don't begin to stand up to these forces,、uh, then we're going to cede territory to these neo-fascists with all of the frightening consequences that that entails.、Uh, Chris Hedges, thanks as always for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. That excerpted interview with journalist Chris Hedges was by George Galloway, a 30-year former member of the British Parliament, whose interviews used to be on RT—that's Russia Today—for many years, until they were shut down by the EU and the United States. He now posts his shows on YouTube. Search for his channel called George Galloway. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report, or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal, or by writing to Dan Roberts at PO Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Please help me continue producing this weekly show, which I freely distribute to radio stations and the internet. Like a listener in New York City and a repeater from Albion, California, did this week. Many, many thanks. Huge thanks to community radio station WFHB FM in Bloomington, Indiana, for continuing to support my efforts in producing this show. Thank you. We will conclude with Radio Havana, Cuba. Colombian President Petro announced an informal dialogue with the dissidents of FARC in search of peace with the rebels. The United Nations World Food Program says that there is a global food emergency. Pharmaceutical companies in the United States are abusing the U.S. patent system to prolong their unprecedented profits. A Syrian envoy to the United Nations has urged the community to compel Israel to join the Treaty on Non-Proliferation of Nuclear Weapons, and to allow inspections of its nuclear facilities by the IAEA. The family of murdered Palestinian-American journalist Shireen Abu Akleh has submitted a complaint to the International Criminal Court to demand justice for her killing. Radio Havana, Cuba.
Colombian President Gustavo Petro announced that his government has begun an informal dialogue with the dissidents of the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, the FARC, the FARC. Petro also posted two photographs in which emissaries from his administration are seen talking with members of the dissidents in a kind of cambuche in the middle of the Colombian jungle. The dialogue began with a front called Jorge Briseño, to whom the dissidents pay homage to alias Mono Jojoy, one of the most representative leaders of the extinct FARC, a group that signed the peace agreement with the state in 2016 and who was killed by the National Army in the middle of a bombing in 2010. A dialogue begins, the president tweeted. Currently, the FARC dissidents are led by alias Ivan Marquez. In addition to alias Jesus Santrich and El Paisa, three of the commanders who left the peace process between the FARC and the state to re-found the group were also part of the meeting. Since he assumed the presidency, Gustavo Petro has confirmed that one of his main policies would be the search for peace with the different national armed groups, such as the FARC dissidents, the National Liberation Army, the ELN, and the Gulf Clan. Precisely with the ELN, the government confirmed the official reopening of peace talks in Havana, Cuba, negotiations that will be led by Foreign Minister Alvaro Leiva. The United Nations food chief has warned the world is facing a global emergency of unprecedented magnitude, with up to 345 million people marching towards starvation and 70 million pushed closer to starvation by the war in Ukraine. David Beasley, executive director of the UN World Food Program, told the UN Security Council the 345 million people facing acute food insecurity in the 82 countries where the agency operates is more than twice the number of accurately food insecure people before the COVID-19 pandemic hit in 2020. He said it is incredible troubling that 50 million of those people in 45 countries are suffering from very acute malnutrition and are knocking on famine's door. What was a wave of hunger is now a tsunami of hunger, he said, pointing to rising conflict, the pandemic's economic cripple effects, climate change and rising fuel prices. The Security Council was focusing on conflict-induced food insecurity in the risk of famine in Ethiopia, northeastern Nigeria, South Sudan and Yemen. But Beasley and UN humanitarian chief Martin Griffiths also warned about the food crisis in Somalia, which they both recently visited, and Griffiths also put Afghanistan high on the list. Top pharmaceutical companies in the United States are abusing the U.S. patent system to prolong their unprecedented profits while worsening a drug pricing crisis and costing patients billions of dollars, according to a report. The New York-based Initiative for Medicines, Access and Knowledge, IMAC, said in a report published on Thursday that the excessive abuse of the patent system by drug makers Bristol-Myers Squibb, AbbVie, Regeneron and Bayer keeps drug prices sky-high often at the expense of the American consumers. Companies are gaming the system, said Tahir Amin, an intellectual property researcher and a co-founder of iMac. They get the power, they get the monopoly, and they start hiking their prices, said Priti Christel, a health justice lawyer and a co-founder of iMac, NBC News reported. iMac, a non-profit group of lawyers and scientists that advocates drug patient patent reform, said three of the top ten selling medications in the United States face no competition and will cost the consumers a further $167 billion before their patents expire, allowing cheaper generics into the market. U.S. prescription drug spending, which exceeds $400 billion today, is projected to reach nearly a trillion dollars by 2030, the group said. 
Under the United States patent system, drug companies are able to sell their new products without facing any competition from other manufacturers for a set period of time, usually 20 years. However, drug makers usually seek multiple patents for minor variations on a single invention to stave off generic competition for decades. Patent abuse is not limited to a few bad actors. A growing body of evidence demonstrates that an essential part of the pharmaceutical industry's business model for top-selling drugs is now built on maintaining market control by exploiting an outdated patent system, IMAX said. Top pharmaceutical companies in the United States filed an average of 140 patent applications per drug, the report said, adding that 66% of the patent applications were filed following U.S. Food and Drug Administration approval. Four times as many patents have been granted on a single drug in the United States compared to Europe. A Syrian envoy to the United Nations has urged the international community to compel Israel to join the Treaty on the Non-Proliferation of Nuclear Weapons, the NPT, while slamming Washington's double standards and support for the occupying regime. Addressing the IEEA Board on Safeguards in the Middle East, Syria's permanent representative to the United Nations and other international organizations in Vienna, Hassan Kadur, noted that the Tel Aviv regime should allow inspection of all its nuclear facilities by the IAEA without preconditions. The international community must take serious steps in order to oblige Israel to join Treaty on Non-Proliferation of Nuclear Weapons, Sana quoted him as saying. The envoy also slammed the double standard policies of the United States with regard to the proliferation of mass destruction weapons and its unconditional support for Israel. The U.S. claims interest in issues of non-proliferation of mass destruction weapons, but when it is related to Israel and its nuclear and chemical arsenal, all this vanishes as it seeks to find justification and excuses. The Israeli regime is estimated to possess 200 to 400 nuclear warheads in its arsenal, which makes it the sole possession of unconventional weapons in the Middle East. Israel pursues a policy of deliberate ambiguity about its nuclear weapons program, as it neither confirms nor or dismisses the reports. The family of slain Al Jazeera journalist Shireen Abu Akhle has submitted an official complaint to the International Criminal Court, the ICC, to demand justice for her killing. Abu Akhle, who was with Al Jazeera for 25 years and was known as the Voice of Palestine, was shot in the head and killed by Israeli forces on May the 11th while she was covering an army raid in the Jenin refugee camp in the occupied West Bank. She was wearing a flak jacket and helmet that clearly identified her as a member of the press. Al Jazeera's cameraman, Ali al-Samudi, who was standing near her along with a group of Palestinian journalists, was shot in the back but recovered. Speaking in front of the International Criminal Court in The Hague on Tuesday, Abu Akhle's brother, Anton, said that they would do whatever was necessary to ensure accountability for her killing. Quote, like we said before, and like other reports said previously, there were more than 16 shots fired towards Shireen and the media and her colleagues who were standing in that ally. Anton Abu Akhle said they even targeted the person who was trying to pull her into safety after she was shot down. The complaint is supported by the Palestinian Press Syndicate and the International Federation of Journalists, the JFJ. Jim Boomhilha, the former president of the IFJ, said it was a, quote, historic day, not just for Abu Akhle's family, but for Palestinian journalists who've been on the receiving end of attacks by Israeli forces.
Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radioac.cu. Their podcasts are not up there. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140, and from 6 p.m. to midnight at either 606060 or 6165. At their website, you can stream the English version at noon, Monday through Friday. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people like you to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. You have to look harder these days because of U.S. and E.U. prohibitions on media. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's www.outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows, Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with the podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 26th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. The shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.